Amen. Good evening, everybody. So good to see you here. Um, we are in the fourth week of our What on Earth Am I Here For series. Who has enjoyed it? Week five. Oh, goodness, I'm one week behind. Who has enjoyed it so far? Who is in a group and doing the workbook with somebody else? Just put your hands up. Just wave them proudly. Amen. That is great. You're getting great benefit from that, aren't you? Um, Toby, do I need to push yet, or what's, what's happening? You know, there's that, that little saying, what are you, over 40, what was the, the first, the something you've done for the first time? Well, tonight I'm clicking my own slides. It's a little overwhelming. There we go, yay. So what on earth am I here for? And tonight we're going to talk about something that's really close to my heart, because it's something that I struggled with pretty much way up into my late 20s. And because I struggled with it, I had to push deeply into it. And I can testify that in my late 40s, <laughs> I'm doing better with this than I ever have before. And that topic is this idea of our unique purpose, or our specific purpose. And so our topic tonight is that we are shaped for service. Um, and I don't know what I did. <laughs> There we go. So Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we shall work in them. You and I tonight are God's workmanship. That means he made us. That means he constructed us. That means he worked us into exactly what he wanted us to be. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now think about that image that you're seeing there. That the Lord God himself, he reached into the earth, into the dust, and he formed you and I. Can you see that there's something very intentional about that? There's nothing accidental about that. Creation wasn't this moment where God was like, hmm, what a wonderful idea. Let's fill up this big empty space. And then he walked away. Everything he made, he made because he wanted it. When you read the Genesis um, story, at the end of every evening of work, the Lord says something. He says, it's good. When was the last time you said, it's good about something? What were you feeling when you said that? Pleasure. Joy, delight. But when God made man, there's a slight change to the script. At the day, at the end of the evening when God had made man, he says something different. He says, it is very good. And God's delight is on you. God made you because he wanted you. And you've got to start believing that God doesn't just love you, but he likes you. Our next scripture is Jeremiah 17, verse 6b, and it says this, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And this comes from a prophetic picture that the Lord wanted to show to the prophet Jeremiah about who he was to Israel. And he calls Jeremiah and he says, Go down to the potter's house. And he goes down and he watches a potter making a clay pot. And something goes wonky with that pot, and the potter smashes it and he starts again. And this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah, I am the potter, you are the clay. Now, if you look carefully at that picture, um, 
you're going to see that the, the fingers of that potter are leaving an imprint all over the clay. Can you see that? And so he's working it with his hands. And throughout all these three scriptures, workmanship, it's about God's hands on us. And what that says to me tonight is that as you are sitting here tonight, you have the fingerprints of God all over your soul, all over your heart, all over your destiny. What I love about it, and I was sitting in a friend's house a few years ago, and she painted this massive picture of a real close-up of Potter's hands, and she'd used a photograph, and what had never really entered my mind was how much clay gets onto the hands of the Potter. And even there, you can see that the clay is on his hands, and I believe that that speaks of the fact that we are carved onto the heart of God. We are written on his heart. The Bible says that our names are carved onto his hands. And so you have been formed by loving hands. You have been formed by hands who wanted you. You weren't just made to cast away. You were made for purpose, and you were formed specifically and uniquely to fulfill something that the Lord God has put inside of you. You know what I've really loved as we've worked through uh, this What on Earth Am I Here For series is how it has made very clear to us that every single one of us has a common or a general purpose. Do you, if you remember, we've spoken about stuff like we are called to be loved by God. We've spoken about the fact that we belong to God. Last week, Tanda did such a great job of reminding us and showing us that our purpose, our call, is to become like God. But when I say the word general or common, that does not mean lesser than. In our millennial space, <laughs> we all want to be unique. Um, I've been listening to a lot of pop songs, and they're all about uniqueness, how we just want to be unique. Don't force me into a mold. Don't make me what you want to make me. It's, um, no. <laughs> Let me warm up a bit, Jess. Um, we want to be unique. And so we hate this idea of general or common. But let me help you with something. Just quick, do a quick scan of this room. Is there anything but humans sitting in these chairs? So yes, we are unique, and we are uniquely fashioned, but we are also human beings, which means we only have two eyes, not five or three or nine. Do you get what I'm saying? We only have two ears. We have two hands and two feet. And so as unique as we are, because we are human and humanity is a kind of restricted reality, you're not Martians. Does that make sense? So you, you're human. There is a space where, we work, where God works with us very similarly. And then there are these unique spaces that he addresses to us, but we are a group of people before him. And so general or common does not mean less than. And in fact, I want to say to you tonight that your general or common purpose is even more important than your specific or unique purpose. The reason for this is because until we understand our common or general call, our common or general purpose, there is an aspect of our uniqueness that will never manifest correctly, that will never manifest fully. 
until we embrace and figure out how to live and experience being loved by God, belonging to God, becoming like Him, no matter how close we come to our unique purpose, it will never truly satisfy us. You see, it's not enough to know that God loves me. You have to experience it. And if you haven't experienced it or you're not experiencing it right now, well, you need to go after it. There are things inside of us, there are things outside of us that want to keep us locked in shame, locked in guilt, locked in selfishness, and only God's love can set us free from that. Only an understanding that I am deeply and fondly and passionately loved by the God of the universe is going, to lock, is going to break that stuff open in my heart. It's going to allow me the confidence that I need to stand up and be who he made me to be. It's the same with belonging to God. When I actually have an experiential understanding of what it means to belong to God, suddenly choices become a whole different thing. Because it's not about my fame. It's not just about what I want to do. If I belong to God and he loves me, then I have to make a different choice. Then my choice is kind of made for me. And it's good. Some of you are not getting this, but it's actually good. It's really helpful in a world where anything goes and everything is acceptable. And then lastly, if I understand that my actual call as a Christian is to become like Jesus, Again, every choice I make, suddenly I've got a whole lot more context for how that should go. That he is my Lord and my master and my savior and my friend and my father and the lover of my soul. You see, the world exalts purpose as gifts, as titles, as position. And we think successful people are those who've pushed into those things. But what God calls purpose, what God calls success is service. (laughs) The world thinks that's just nonsense. But God says the very thing you're despising is actually your success. And so there was a time in the ministry of Jesus on the earth where his best friends, his disciples, you know those 12 men we read about in the Gospels, they started having a little private fight around who is the greatest in the kingdom? Who does Jesus love more? (laughs) Who's the biggest? And Jesus said this to them. He said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't the whole point of the world to get as rich as you can so you can pay other people to do everything you hate doing? Isn't that the whole point? How can Jesus come and just shake it up like that? How can he come and just slam us like that? What do you mean? If I want to be great, I've got to be a servant. That's horrible. Everything I'm trying to do is that I don't have to be a servant. And the issue is about humility. The issue is understanding who I am in the universe. That the sun, moon, and stars do not revolve around me. That there is a God who spoke this creation into being, and what he thinks, and what he says, and what he wants is actually the whole point of life. Whoever would be great among you, who wants to be great in the kingdom of God? I do. 
then we better be a servant. And just as an aside, you know, we've seen crazy pastor stuff happening over the last month, haven't we? Look at this scripture and think about what you've seen on TV. Isn't it really easy to understand what's going on? If you want greatness, you're going to act crazy to get it. But to be truly great, all I have to do is serve. And Pastor Roger said something on, yeah, let's give the Lord a hand for that. And Pastor Roger said something really powerful on his Facebook about some of that. You know, he never comments on what's going on. He just speaks the truth of God. And what he said was, for every one charlatan out there, there are a thousand men and women of God being faithful, being true, giving up their lives for the cause of God. And so let us not get distracted by the one idiot who's trying to be great on his own. Let's just leave him alone. The Lord will sort him out. God bless them. Now, when I looked in the dictionary to see what the word service actually meant, the very first line in the English dictionary for service, oh wait, I'm pushing the, (laughs) said this. (laughs) Service means an act of helpful activity to help or to aid. It's really simple, isn't it? An act of helpful activity. Notice helpful. (laughs) If you did something and it didn't help, you didn't serve. Okay. So so make sure it's helpful. It's really simple. How easy is that? But how profound is that? Think back to the last time somebody served you. Somebody did an act of helpful activity for you. How did it feel? What happened in your heart? Did it make your life better? And so this simple thing, this simple act of helpful activity can change the world. And this is the power of service. And so as we go into that topic tonight, you are shaped for service. Ephesians 2 verse 10 again, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You are designed to make a contribution, not just to be a consumer. Every single person on this planet, God has put something inside of them that is going to be there for the common good, that is actually going to make the world a better place. And if we look around us today, we can see that free will reigns and rules, doesn't it? And if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say this, I honestly believe that God respects our free will more than we do. Because we go willy-nilly as Christians doing our stuff, then we get really upset with God when the consequences come to live. And we blame him. God's going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I understand free will better than you do. You are absolutely free. Do you know that freedom means you can do anything you want to do? Think about that for a second. That's freedom. It's not magic. We, don't, we sing about freedom up and down. Here, but you are free. You're already free. The problem is, is that as soon as you're free, you have to take responsibility. And this is the thing with God. God is very clear on what is his responsibility and what is our responsibility. We get confused. You've heard me say this a million times. The only times I ever get frustrated with God is when I'm trying to take responsibility for stuff he should do, or I refuse to take responsibility for stuff I should do. Then God becomes very frustrating. Why? Because God will not be bent to my will. He is unmanipulatable. 
And he's absolutely, absolutely solid in what he should do. Now, he's very good. So he reaches into our responsibility and he helps us. And he encourages us. But if we won't do it, it will just remain undone. Because God is not freaked out about what's happening on this planet. He knows he wins. <laughs> he knows that the gospel is everything we need and it's more than enough. But will we pick up our responsibility? Will we make the contribution that he actually put in us to make? And so the question that we have to ask tonight is what shape am I? What shape am I? Now, we're not asking what shape am I in because that's just way too personal. And I feel very exposed tonight because as I'm standing up here in front of you, you can all see that my shape is pear. Um, I was trying to think if I could maybe make it an upside-down heart, but Lyra, it's just it's not going to... It's just straight-up pear. So I'm sorry about that, but... But we need to ask God, what shape am I? And the reason for that is... Who, who, who remembers this toy? <laughs> if you haven't... Yeah, there we go. I had one, I think I played with it up until I was 12 or 13, because it was just fascinating. It's for really little kids. Um, if, you, if you don't know what this toy is, you just haven't been around babies. It's as simple as that. Stop laughing, Jesse. <laughs> I was special as a child, okay? Um, so, so the whole concept of this toy is that there's a hole, and only one of the shapes can fit into that hole. Really simple. But it teaches you how to learn your shapes, and how to figure out that you can't fit a square into a star shape. It just isn't going to happen no matter how much you cry, no matter how much a tantrum you throw, the square will not go through the star hole. It's as simple as that. And so when you know what your shape is, it immediately does two things for you. First and foremost, it absolutely restricts you. And it narrows your focus. See, we hate this in the world today, because we want to do everything, and be everything, and learn everything, and do everything. Well, no, the whole point of purpose is restriction. Purpose restricts you. If this is your purpose, it means everything else isn't. <laughs> yes, yeah, somebody give the Lord a hand for that. It's just true. So, what I mean by that is, now, now, ladies, please take note, if you're around single men and they can answer these questions correctly, they're a hot commodity. What are those things? A spatula and a vacuum cleaner. Great. So I want you just quickly, wherever you're sitting, just talk to one or two other people, and I want you to talk about what shape is a spatula and what shape is a vacuum cleaner, and what about them sh that shape makes them really good at what they do. So you're going to just, you really, you're now going to discuss a spatula and a vacuum cleaner with your friend. So what about the spatula makes it good as a spatula? <laughs> Some of you are getting really in-depth. Okay, you've got 30 seconds to wrap that up. Okay, okay. 
Okay, so who can tell me what does a spatula do? It spatulates. It lifts eggs. <laughs> it lifts hot food out of trays so your fingers don't burn. Who's grateful for spatulas? Okay, what does a vacuum cleaner do? It sucks dust out of carpets. Now, if the spatula woke up tomorrow morning and it decided it was sick and tired of being in the kitchen and it really wanted to get out into the big, great wild and make a difference in the world and decided to be a rake, what would happen? So, it might collect a few leaves, but how fast before it's useless? And then it's neither a spatula nor a rake. So do you understand how purpose restricts us? And it narrows our focus. The second thing, um, the second thing knowing what our shape is will do for us is it will immediately show us the space we need to enter. Like I said, you cannot shove a square into a star shape. And this is really valuable because when I know the shape I am, I know the space I am designed for. And you see, some of us are despising our shape. Some of us are comparing ourselves to others and deciding that stars are way prettier and way better than squares and we're desperately trying to shove our square self into the star shape. Who is frustrated in their purpose? Let's show a hand, show of hand. Some of you, you are honest. The Lord is gonna honor you tonight. Everybody else, shame on you. If you are frustrated in your purpose, it's because you're a square trying to shove yourself into a star shape. It's because you have not embraced what God made you. Now, again, if we use that stupid example, if the vacuum cleaner gets bored of sucking up dust one day and it watches a nature special on the ocean and it sees a creepy crawly and suddenly its whole little life is upside down because, oh my word, could I possibly be an aquatic vacuum cleaner? Oh yes, it's wonderful, it's exotic, it's dramatic, I can go underwater, oh yes, that's what I want to do, that's all I want to do. And then to its absolute delight one day, it sees that there is actually a pool outside. And it makes its way over. It is plugged in. So it makes its way over. Who knows that for three seconds, it is gonna be dramatic and explosive and exotic and something to remember. And then it is neither a vacuum cleaner nor a creepy crawly. I'm really hammering this point because the issue of purpose is I don't decide what my purpose is. I recognize what it is. And then I embrace it. And then I embrace it. And then I live like this is the best gift God has ever given me. Because if the creator of the universe made you a specific and unique shape and created a specific and a unique um, space for you to fill, is there purpose behind that? Is he cruel? And I can tell you right now that when you, there is dust in your carpet, there is nothing 
but a vacuum cleaner that will pull it out. And no matter how dramatic or glamorous or sexy something else might be, only a vacuum cleaner gets the dust out of carpet. And, there, and then that vacuum cleaner is the most important thing in your life for that space. And so the issue of purpose is everything is valuable. If it's your purpose, it's your purpose. And I have seen in my life, when I despise my purpose, other people will also. But when I embrace my purpose and I live like it's true and valuable and meaningful, amazing things happen. And that's a little motto I say to myself about purpose, is that this is as glamorous as it gets. But it matters. And so I, in my 20s, joined this church. In fact, I was 17, just going on for 18 when I joined this church. That is a long time ago. It's actually going to be 30 years in July that I've been a member of this church. And um, I came in and... There was a campus ministry predominantly at that stage. I was still in high school. I was in Standard 9. I was a year behind and a year older than all my peers, but a year behind and still in high school. I was highly insecure and highly ashamed and, you know, teenage It's just a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I wish I had the energy of the teenager, but I never, ever want to go back there again. <laughs> um, and I walked into a room full of 21 to 23-year-olds who were, who were being discipled. And they had been discipled in purpose, and they were doing things for God. And I looked around, and I was like, gosh, I'm an idiot and a moron and a loser. <laughs> I'm just being really honest. That's what I felt. And everybody was, like, talking about calling and destiny, and I didn't know what on earth I was. And so these helpful people showed me the lists of gifts and callings and things in the Bible, and my eye caught encourager. And somewhere in my head, I was like, well, that's the smallest, tiniest, most useless, least gift. Maybe I can aspire to that. Maybe, maybe, just maybe God will be good enough to let me be nothing but an encourager. See, you're all so well-trained. Just let me tell my story. So, <laughs> I can see all of you who are encouragers. But honestly, that's what I felt and that's what I believed. None of my friends were saying they wanted to be encouragers. They all wanted to be pastors and apostles and I don't know what else evangelists, which just terrified everything out of me. And so I started doing this thing where every night in my quiet time, I would just beg God, could you just make me an encourager? Please, could you just make, literally, look your life, God, I don't want to be completely useless. Could I just be an encourager? And I prayed and prayed and suffered and suffered and went through my life. And then at the age of 25, I kind of hit this idea of motivational gifts. It's one of the lists in the thing. And when I did the test, guess what? Encourager came out 100%. I was disappointed. <laughs> now, I'd been asking God for that, but in the back of my head, I was hoping to be a prophet or an evangelist or something else. All I was was an encourager. But then somebody gave me a book, and I started reading about what, in, in, in the biblical language of the day, it was an exhorter, of what an exhorter does. And slowly but slowly, I realized, actually, this is exactly what I do. And no matter whether I was a worship leader, um, I was working at the church office, I was a connect group leader, I was um, working at the civic theater at that time, and I began to realize, actually, whatever I'm doing, that's, that's what I do. I, I exhort. 
And slowly but slowly, I began to realize, oh, this is a great thing. It's unique to me. And then I started getting excited about it. And I started embracing it. And when I started embracing it, this really weird thing started happening. Suddenly, I could do it anywhere. And where before I had no purpose and I was just feeling useless the whole time, I would go home every evening thinking, man, I got to exhort somebody today. Because guess what? Everywhere I went, there were people who needed exhortation. So my shape, there was a space for everywhere. And I just did what I knew to do. And I'm sure if I had to go back to some of those conversations, I'd be horrified. But the more I embraced my exhortation, the more I practiced it, the better I got at it. The better I got at it, the more opportunities opened. The more opportunities opened, the better I got. Are you getting this? And suddenly one night, I remember saying, I got on my bed and I started crying. I started weeping and I said, God, thank you that when I was an idiot and a moron, you actually got me to pray my purpose into myself. And the goodness of God hit me. Not one of you is an idiot or a moron. Not one of you is useless. But will you embrace what you have? Or will you try and be something you're not? So how do you find your shape? Well, this is what you're actually going to do in your groups this week. It's in the back of your, and what on earth am I here for, workbooks. There's a whole shape profile test, and you're going to go and figure out what your shape is. But very quickly, what a shape is, is your spiritual gifts. Those are, oh, Lord, wait, hold on. (laughs) There we go. Um, It's gifts given to you to use by the Holy Spirit that comes after salvation, which you can use to minister to others. The second thing is your heart or your passions. Now, when the Bible speaks about your heart, it's describing the things that you love, the things that you care about. What are you passionate about? It's your abilities. We all have unique abilities. There are things we can do, and they're varied and vast, and you might not be able to figure out how they all work together, but if you'll start acknowledging them, it's going to help you figure out vehicles for you to express your purpose on. Gifts and abilities are not purpose in themselves. But if I understand the gift I'm moving in, it's going to be a vehicle for the purpose. It's going to be a vehicle for what I bring and what I do. I've realized that skills are a part of this. Typing is not a purpose, (laughs) but it's a really good skill to have. And what are the skills you have that you can bring to a situation? And while I'm talking about that, plumbing, oh my word. Now let me help you out. There's certain things people have to do worldwide. Just doesn't matter who you are, you have to do them. What is happening in this country is people are not studying for plumbers anymore. In 10 years' time, they're going to be the richest people in this country, because there's only going to be five of them And when the plumbing breaks down, they're going to charge whatever they want to, and we're going to pay it, because we need that stuff. So some of you need to embrace plumbing. (laughs) And then remember me when you do that. Your personality. We all have varying personalities and personality traits. Your unique personality is exactly what God wants you to use to minister to others. Your personality attracts people to you. Who are those people? What is common about those people? That's telling you, that's giving you clues about the shape about the space your shape fits. What are your experiences? Each one of us has unique life experiences. And what I want to say about this is that for good or bad, those life experiences shape us. Now, this is the wonder of God. God knew everything about you before you were born. He knew every horrific thing that was going to happen to you, every amazing thing was going to happen. And so he's already built that into your shape and your purpose. And so the thing we hate and despise, there are things in my life I'm never going to give thanks for. 
But at 47, I realized that some of that trauma and abuse that I went through and suffered has actually left me with an understanding, with a grasp on things that makes me a really good counselor, which is what exhorters are good at as well. And so I'm very grateful for what they've given me. And so don't feel like any situation or circumstance in your life is going to disqualify you. That's just nonsense. God is so good, he already knew that was going to happen to you, and he sorted that out. You need to go after healing. You need to embrace that in your life. But it's not going to hinder you from being who you need to be. And really, the issue is is that God has given us our unique shape so that we can serve other people. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 Oh, Lord, now I'm going backwards. (laughs) Sometimes we do that in our purpose, and now I just shot over it. But in any case, we just carry on going. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And this is something I absolutely believe. Your purpose will only manifest in the context of the next person you meet. Because purpose is personal, and it's about other people. I, I cannot exhort that chair. Why? Because that chair is being everything it should be. It's being a chair. The only time I could possibly exhort it is if Jessie sits in the chair and and then she's on the floor. And really the only exhortation I have for that chair is get fixed or get out. So I can only exhort people. And this is where you're going to begin to understand the difference between gifts and purpose. A lot of gifts I can practice by myself. But purpose can only happen with people. So what do I mean by that? I play music. I love music. It's one of my abilities. It's one of the gifts I have. I play numerous instruments. I play the harp. But guess what? I can sit at home for seven hours playing harp and not think about another person. Harp only becomes purpose when I'm on the stage here and I'm I'm investing what God has given me into the music I'm making so you can enjoy it and you can be blessed and together we can enter God's presence. And I want to say this, through my 30 years of being in this church, I've heard people saying, oh, my purpose is to make money for the kingdom. Now, I'm not arguing with that, but what I am saying is that must probably be a gift. The Bible says you, there are certain people who have a gift of wealth. It's great. Who are the people? Because if all you're doing is making money and shoving it into an offering somewhere, I mean, please keep doing that, but... <laughs> You had better connect to people. What is your passion? There better be some of that money flowing into that with faces on. Because otherwise you're going to just be rich and empty and angry at God. And so think about it. Think about where you are trying to make a gift your purpose, where you are trying to make a solitary activity your purpose, when actually it's only going to manifest in the context of the next person you meet. And this is the issue. God made us for each other. There is a, you've heard me say this a million times. There are things of God you will only get from somebody else. And he's ordained it that way. And some of you are praying and crying and praying, but you actually need to go speak to another person. And that's where God's going to come. So what I want to leave you with tonight is that you need to start recognizing your purpose. You need to stop trying to be a creepy crawly when you're a vacuum cleaner or a star when you're a square. You need to start embracing with joy and thanksgiving and excitement what you are because purpose begets purpose. 
And just like I explained to you, the, the more I exhorted, the more I got to exhort. And for me, purpose has been this upside-down pyramid. It started tiny, but as I've gone after it, it's getting wider and wider. And I'm discovering gifts, I'm discovering vehicles in every decade of my life that allow me to encourage. What I'm doing right now is encouraging. I'm preaching, but all I'm doing is encouraging. And so I want you to embrace that. So Holy Spirit, as we have heard these things tonight, I pray first and foremost that you would just come and just take the pressure off, Lord God. Just take the pressure away. If you've been feeling pressure to know what, just let it go. And where you are, just ask the Lord, God, what did you make me for? What is my shape? And he's going to answer that question over this next week, the next month, the next year. But keep asking that question. Don't tell him, I want to be that or I want to. Ask him, what am I? And when you hear him speak, get excited about it. If you've been that person who's trying to force themselves into shape, why don't you just repent tonight? And the repentance isn't a heavy thing. It's just saying, God, I really wanted to be a star because I thought they were better. But now I realize that squares are pretty cool. And just do that. Just, that's the repentance. God, I'm going to just be what you want me to be, and I'm going to stop comparing myself to everything and everyone. And then if you've been that person who's mistaken solitary activities, a solitary gift as purpose. Just repent before the Lord and say, God, show me, show me how to connect this to people and make a commitment in your heart that you're going to go after that. And God, we thank you that you're hearing our prayers right now. And I thank you that you're going to answer these sincere hearts crying out to you who want to know the difference they can make in this world. And I pray that you just encourage them and inspire them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. Can we give him a round of applause for that word?